0: Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Podcast, equipping people to live successful Christian lives. This passage that I'm going to share with you today, out of 1 Peter chapter 3, is really us finding shade from the scorching heat of the world that we live in. And that's what First Peter is going to speak and talk to each and every one of us today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to First Peter chapter 3 and verse 8. And we're going to get into this in, in just a moment. Remember, Peter is writing this letter to suffering believers in his day. There is persecution, there is political upheaval that have scattered the believers out of their homes and all over the Roman Empire. That's what he is speaking from in this portion of Scripture. And uh, I I think in the last couple of years, I've heard this word more than any other. It's the word unprecedented, right? Like we live in some unprecedented times, whether it's the tensions that we feel, politically, racial, whatever it is. And I know that these are, like you, unusual times, but a troubled and stressful world is not unprecedented. And so we think it is, but it's been the norm in history for some of us. Maybe for the first time, our world feels a little bit like the world that Peter's first audience was a part of. So it makes for a good book to go through right now in our series, Persevering Together. I was struck by this phrase in verse 10 out of this passage that I'll get to as well. It says, the one who wants to love life and see good days. Love life and see good days. So know, understand where he's speaking from. Love life and see good days. That I want to talk to you today about the goodness of God. Even though we live in some crazy days, we still have a good father in heaven. Amen. We still do. And so right now, he is telling us that no matter the climate we are in, how scorching it is, that you and I are able to see the goodness of God. And there's four instructions that I want to talk about today. The number one is seek peace, expect suffering, turn misery into ministry, and stay on message. The first one, if you and I want to see the goodness of God, and I'm going to come at this a little different angle than what you might think. Number one, he says, if you want to see the goodness of God, the instruction is you need to seek peace. He says, the one who wants to love life and to see good days, verse 10, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. And let him turn away from evil and do what is what? Good. Let him seek what? Peace and pursue it. Because, why? Because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. Think about that. He hears the prayers of the righteous. He's turned towards them. But he says, but the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. What a warning inside of this. How do we see the goodness of God in spite of the bad days that we are in? We keep our tongues from speaking evil we turn away from evil and we do good and we seek peace with all people. Now, understand this. This is a continuation of Peter's theme throughout this letter, that in any situation, we should always respond like Jesus Christ. Amen? So what did Jesus do in dark days? We've looked at this quickly. I'm gonna go through it. He was patient. He was, he was patient. He was enduring And we see this, he was persevering, but he was a patient person. He also entrusted himself to God, his Father, and he kept doing good. You and I are called to keep doing good, even in spite of what is taking place in our world. That you and I don't need to try to control everything, right? Assert yourself, or even get vengeance. If you trust God, he's going to take care of all that for you. And that's because verse 12, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And he will always hear our prayer when we abide by his word. But there's also a warning. When we take matters into our own hands and seek vengeance or take control, he says, then I'll turn my face against you. Listen, there's a sweetness, um, a peace in giving up responsibility to take control over everything. Don't you know that to be true? It's true. To, To try to get even. But I go back to that. That chorus years ago, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word." How many of you know are old enough to remember that? Right? There's a sweetness there, and this is what Peter's talking to. Peter says, "'That sweet and peaceful spirit should be like shade on a hot day.'" You know Chris and I were out west traveling in the month of July we were out west and uh, the the one day we were traveling it was one hundred and eighteen degrees I've never been in that type of heat before and traveling out west uh, you know those of you that maybe been a part of that it's it's a hot dry heat but we went to the pool that day and And uh, we got a cabana because we needed some shade underneath, and it was good. But in between the cabana and the pool was a a large concrete path. And I decided just to mosey out across the concrete path, you know, not really realizing, yes, it's 118 degrees, but I went across the concrete path, and I turned around to Chris, and I was like, my only expression was, ah, right, burning flesh, right? Not really realizing how hot it was. And Peter is saying, listen, in this passage, you've understand the goodness of God through his word that it can be shade in the midst of a searing heat in a world that you and I live in. Listen, some have had their sweetness zapped right out of them. And you've allowed the enemy to steal from you. But Peter says you can get it back. Peter gives several words that describe sweetness in action, words he says should characterize characterize the fellowship of the church. Verse 8, be like-minded. Be like-minded means what? You need to pursue unity. That's what it means. Let's point out the obvious. The fact that Peter commands that us to have like-mindedness means that you and I struggle with like-mindedness because he's got to point it out. That's because in the, in the New Testament church, you're supposed to have People of different cultures and backgrounds, and we find commonality in Jesus. And when you have people of different cultures and backgrounds, they bring in different perspectives and cultural perspectives. And what that does is it creates tension. But Jesus and the apostles never envisioned the church as a place where everyone thought the same about everything, right? Now, a place where everyone thinks alike on every issue is called a cult, and if you're a part of that, you need to get out from it. A church is a group of diverse people who find a unity in Christ that outweighs their differences. That outweighs their differences. They discover a message that unites them and unifies them that goes far beyond the secondary agenda that divides them. That is the vision for the New Testament church. That is the vision for an Abundant Life church. Not a place where everyone thinks exactly the same on cultural political issues, but that you and I are united by something that far outweighs those differences, who we are in Christ, and that message needs to be sent to the world. He then gives us two words necessary for that kind of like-mindedness. First of all, verse 8, be sympathetic with one another. Be sympathetic with one another. Sympathy means feeling something alongside of someone else. That's what sympathy is. You're coming right up next to somebody that's going through a difficulty this week. You know, any given week, we have hurting people that stop by the church here. And there was a lady, elderly lady, that came by this week and and, and needed help. But more importantly, she was struggling because she was getting ready to go to UVA. She has cancer in her body. And in that moment, I just took to listen what was going on is she shed tears and was crying going through it. She, her husband passed away in the early 90s. Her mom and dad were gone. They, she has no children around. And, and in that, it just took a moment just to come alongside and just to hear the hurt and the pain in her life. Also, we were able to help her financially, but pray for her. And also made sure, do you have a relationship with Jesus? And she says, oh, yes. Yes, I do. And I feel him when I'm driving. I feel him with me. And I know him. You and I are called to be sympathetic with one another. To come alongside of each other. And to get in the midst of people's struggle and pain and hurt. That this is what he's saying. Be sympathetic. Enter into their pain with them. Be there with them. During a time of conflict, if you are sympathetic with your brothers and sisters, you you understand, do I really understand their perspective what hurt that they are going through, what is the hurt behind what they're saying? And then he adds another one, love one another. Love one another. Love means you care deeply about someone, even more than you do having your own opinion, affirmed, back to you, right? Living with the gospel above all means caring more about each other and the unity of Christ than cultural or political perspectives that I might have and you might have, because your love for them is greater than the affirmation of your own perspective. That is the place that Peter's talking from here. That is the context. We see that spirit exemplified in Paul in Romans 14, where there were issues in the church that deeply divided him, very divisive between Jew and Gentile. They were emotional issues. And Paul had his opinion about what was right and backed up his perspective with scripture. He even called those who didn't see it his way, he said, you are weak in your understanding of the gospel. But Paul said this, he would rather downplay his convictions on those issues in the church than see disagreement on them to destroy the body of Christ. This is love. This is love. You care more about your brothers and sisters and the unity in Christ than you have Somebody echoing back your perspectives. Unity from love, not uniformity of perspective. That is what Peter's speaking to. And it's not easy. It's hard. It's hard when you are deeply, isn't it, passionate about something? You have deep convictions about something, you know, that's rooted in your soul. But, but those around you, they're saying something different. But is the body of Christ and the message of the gospel worth it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Be compassionate, he says. That's next. The word for compassion is this Greek word splagna, which is this word. It's an onomatopoeia. How many remember that word? Took you back to school. Onomatopoeia. Wow. A word that sounds like what it is, like splash, right? Right? It sounds that way. The word "splagna" means a deep feeling of pity that works up from within you, the innermost part of who you are. "Splagna," you can hear it when you say it. Can you say it? "Splagna, splagna." Come on, "splagna." Those of you home, say it. Yeah. It was it was supposed to mimic a guttural sound because it comes from deep within you. It, it, it doesn't. It, it means you don't just fake nicety. Like we do here in the South, bless your heart, what an idiot, right? I mean, anytime you hear someone bless their heart, you know that's not what they mean. But no, you really feel someone's pain. Let your love for others be more than just surface-level platitudes. Really invest yourself emotionally in the pain of your brothers and sisters. Share it. Bear it. And how many of you know people can tell the difference when you're being polite and when you actually care? You know, just being polite, that's surface. But when you really care, you're getting in there with them. And you're there in the battle, and they, they don't care and, and are convinced of that until you deeply get in the middle of that with them and you're sympathetic. And then he goes on to say, and be humble. I think one of the chief causes of disunity is a bunch of people strutting around assuming they're right about everything. I mean, you know, we're, we, we feel pretty strongly about our own beliefs, right? You all have your own convictions. And how many of you know in your life, because I have it in mind, like, your convictions are right and everybody else is wrong, right? We all have that in us to a point. And here's the problem. We understand we got to know this, Peter says, you got to be willing to listen. You may still disagree, but maybe they'll help you see something you haven't seen. If you just take the time to listen, and here's a real practical tip. When you're in the midst of a disagreement with somebody, before you offer your opinion, make sure you can repeat back the point that they're saying as well. And you understand, yeah, okay, I hear you. That's right, I, I hear how you feel. Don't just listen so you can refute their arguments. Listen so that you can understand them and what they're going through. You know, humility means you'll be someone seeing that is eager to listen, right? Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to become angry. In verse nine, not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult. And this is the go-to theme for Peter. Be like Christ who never returned evil for evil. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he was cursed, he blessed. When someone says something hurtful, harsh, or condescending, don't return that in kind. Listen, are you seeking to bless your enemies right now? Do you desire their good? Are you praying for them? Looking for ways to be good to them? Peter says, this is the way of Christ. And what happens when you live this way? Peter says, You'll love life and you'll see good days. And you may think, wow, I don't know if I'm seeing good days. Are there anywhere in the future? It's not possible. But it is possible because we have a good God. And in a few days, we vote in the midterms. And I just encourage you as a citizen, if you're old enough to vote, go vote. And as Christians, go vote your moral, biblical values. Amen? That's what we're called to do. That there is a good God and he has great things for us, right? It's promised in the text. So he says, you know what? You and I should seek peace. Then number two, we should expect suffering. Verse nine is talking about hardship, suffering, and justice, And he says, listen, to this you were called. You were called for this. Now, Peter points to the different kinds of suffering that happens in these verses. First, he says, you understand that, you know what? There's suffering because you and I did evil. We've done that. There's no joy in that. He says, you should avoid that. And maybe you can think Jonah in the Bible. He suffered in the belly of the fish because he ran from God. How many of you know that when you run from God, you're gonna go through suffering? Because we all have. Second, you can suffer for doing right. Think Joseph in the Old Testament. He was sold into slavery, put into prison for doing the right thing. But God used his suffering to bring salvation to others. And Joseph said at the end of his life, He said to his brothers that enslaved him, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about many people that they should be kept alive as they are today. He says this is Christ-like suffering, and this still happens today. Third, sometimes God has us suffer for no understandable or perceivable reason. Think of Job. He changes you and I in that. But you, we don't even know, wow, why am I going through it many times? And it tends to be a mystery. So he talks, there's three kinds of suffering depicted in the three Joes of the Old Testament, if you will, that Jonah suffering for doing what is wrong, Joseph suffering for doing what is right, Job suffering for no perceptible reason. Peter says, in all of these people, in all of these things, God is still good and God is at work. We need to get rid of this idea that come to God and it's smooth sailing. Hello? There's some people that perpetuate that message out. That's all they talk about. But, but that is not all the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? That, it's not just all about smooth sailing. There's gonna be rough patches along. There's gonna be trials. There's gonna be circumstances. There's gonna be difficulties. There's gonna be pain. There's gonna be suffering. There's gonna be persecution because his word says it. So you and I are called to this, Peter says. So I believe that we need to teach our kids to expect suffering in their life. Otherwise, what happens is when they come across difficulties and problems, we set them up for a crisis of faith right? If you teach your children, everything is going to be smooth sailing in God or in the world or whatever it may be. What happens in their life when things begin to fall apart? They don't get the position on the football team. They they don't get the job that they've worked so hard for. They get taken advantage of. Their marriage falls apart. Death comes and they feel like, well, I did everything right, God, but what's wrong with you? Are you even there? And, And they need to understand in those moments of their life that you and I were called to this. And I can have the presence of Jesus in this moment and the promise that God is working all things for my good. Third, turn misery into ministry. Verse 13, who then will harm you if you're devoted to what is right and good? Excuse me. But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Here's what he said do not fear them or be intimidated. But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Listen, if you're a Christian today in this room online, if you're a Christian, you're a minister. Hello? You're a minister of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not for the select and the elect few that you may think. Peter says your suffering may be the best moment you have to point others to Jesus. When you go through suffering with hope, unshakable joy, people will be curious, and they're going to ask you, and it's in that moment that you can give a defense of what you believe. There's a difference, though, don't you know, in giving a, a defense of our faith versus being defensive about our faith? Come here with me today. Most Christians are good being defensive about their faith, but, but, but being ready to give a defense uh, versus living a life that is so different that it evokes questions from others and then being prepared to answer those questions well. So let me ask you to consider both sides of that. When is the last time someone asked you the reason for your joy and the hope and the pain that you are enduring? And when is the last time that someone asked you about why you're so generous? Or why you're so forgiving, or why you're so patient and persevering. And if you be honest, if you're you not know, gonna be honest right now, let's make this scalable, if you will. On a scale of one to 10, how different, amazing is your life in this regard? Don't say 10 because 10's reserved for Jesus. And you can't, you, you, listen, you, you can't say one, that's for the devil, all right? You're not the devil. If you are, come up to the end, I'll cast it out of you in Jesus' name. So 10 being for Jesus, 1 being the devil, how different is your life? Scale it out. How different is your life? When somebody looks at you and the pain that you are enduring and going through and the struggle, how different are you? By the way, this is the secret of the early church's success. They lived in ways that blew everyone else's mind. Rodney Stark in the book, The Rise of Christianity, says there are several things about the early church that absolutely set them apart. Number one, first, multi-ethnic unity. Across the ethnos, there was unity no matter what. Number two, radical generosity. They took incredible care of the poor. We have that famous letter from the Emperor Julian. Here's what he said complaining These godless Galileans care not only for their poor, but ours as well. What a thing to be said. Or how about this, only in the church was there a regard for all of life, human life. Especially those lives considered cheap by the Roman Empire. Rome had its own abortion scheme. If a Roman family had a baby they didn't want, they would just leave it out by the trash overnight. There are ancient letters where they actually found letters from Roman men to their wives that says, if it's a boy, keep it. If it's a girl, discard it. that sound familiar? See, we we may have sanitized that a bit in the day that we live in, but it's essentially the same. Like, you know, you can't, you can discard the kids you don't want. The early church practiced what's called baby runs, literally. Members would walk the streets at night listening for discarded babies. Soon churches were filled with babies, particularly baby girls discarded on the streets. This is what made them Peculiar. This is what made them unique. This is what made them stood out. My fear is there's too many believers in the day that we live in that you're afraid of standing out. You're afraid of standing up. But it doesn't exemplify the Christians in the New Testament church. We're afraid to speak up because of the backlash. Listen, the moment you and I got salvation and we went through baptism waters, you and I got a job description. That's to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just a good Christian on Sunday morning, but all throughout the week. That's the New Testament. Peculiar, you're different. You do things different. You're a little odd. We're afraid of that. We want to fit in. This is effective evangelism. Effective evangelism comes from living in a way that provokes a question. Which is, the other side, are you ready to share that when asked? Another observation, verse 16, yet do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct will be put to shame. It doesn't matter how good your answer or how even compelling your life, if you you answer Without gentleness and respect, you forfeit your witness, the Bible says. Verse 17, for it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Listen, screaming at someone in Jesus' name doesn't change a human heart. No one ever gets converted through you saying mean, cutting things on Facebook or picketing a gay pride parade gentleness and respect that's supposed to describe our defense gentle respect you can do everything right you can be a defender of theology you can adopt a child you can be a model christian but the minute you speak hatefully towards someone else you undo all of that peter says and it makes us look like a sham Before we go on, what if we just stopped here and thought about, you thought about where you're suffering and God wants to use your testimony to others. Where can you show the generosity of Christ Jesus today? And would you think about that and would you write it down? Would you take a moment today? and Would you meditate on this word? And you take it in and you're not just leave it. Not just good hearers, but doers. Seek peace, expect suffering, turn misery into ministry. Fourth, lastly, stay on message. Verse 18. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. He has put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. "...in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in the past were disobedient, when God patiently waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. In, in it, a few, that is, he says, eight people were saved through water. Baptism, which co- corresponds to this, now, save, now, that now saves you, not as the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ." who has gone into heaven is at the right hand of God the angels authorities and the powers subject to him. Well that raises a couple big questions here that we'll try to clear up quickly. Maybe it'll help you dig even into the text even after today. Verse 19 says that Christ by the spirit also went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison. Who in the past were disobedient when God patiently waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. That that could mean one or two things. The number one that after his death Christ went and proclaimed his victory to a group of disobedient demons, principalities and powers who had been at work in the days of Noah. They're bound up awaiting judgment and Christ went and proclaimed them his ultimate victory, a foretaste really of what the final judgment will be. And the other, which is more closely, I feel aligned as Peter is saying that Christ through his spirit was preaching through Noah during Noah's disobedient generation just as he is preaching now through our generation today that Noah preached for 120 years to his generation and no one listened. And Peter is saying, don't be discouraged if sometimes we get the same reaction that Noah got. Because God eventually kept his word to Noah and brought about salvation to others. That we can be confident he will keep his word to us. And by that reading, you read verse 19 this way. In his spirit, Christ in the past proclaimed the gospel... Through Noah to the spirits, the souls of people who are now in prison, they're in hell, because they didn't believe Noah's message. But don't get discouraged that God eventually brought salvation in Noah's day. In church, let me tell you this, he's going to bring salvation in our day. The other confusing portion of this and what I said about baptism, verse 21, now saves you. Baptism saves you. I thought, well, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's in the word. And so Peter's not contradicting that, saying getting baptized is actually what saves your soul. It's just that baptism was closely related with salvation. You know, we can say it like this, the ring ceremony in a marriage that you can easily conflate the two. It's, it's like if I say that, you know, 29 years ago, Chris and I exchanged rings and were married. I don't mean that the exchange of rings alone makes it married. It's, it's kind of just speaking in shorthand, and that's what he's saying here. That's what he's doing. He, he makes clear, in fact, that he's not saying the water baptism going over you saves you, but the response of faith expressed through you is what's important first. It's not the removal of dirt. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you're declaring in baptism what Jesus has already done because of your public confession in Christ. So that's your answer in that. So if some of you are like, man, I've read this before and I'm just trying to find the answers. You know, now you can explain one of the most confusing passages of Scripture and now you are all certified biblical nerds because you got it. But in those technicalities, don't lose Peter's main point in this whole section. Here it is, Christ wins. And if Christ wins, we win, right? And he has won. Just like he won in the days of Noah when everyone thought Noah was an absolute fool. We know today he wins. Do you you understand in water baptism is the place of separation? It's a place where we bury our enemies. Did you know that? It's a place where we leave our past And we get our mistakes washed away. That's what took place last week, our our house party. As many people came through and got water baptism. Baptism is a place of separation. It's a place where we bury our enemies and they are buried in the name of Jesus. And Peter says, don't get off message. There's only one winner to this whole thing. It's Christ Jesus. Keep preaching him. Even when it feels like no one is listening. Some of you have been preaching the word, speaking the word to your coworkers, your, your friend at school. Maybe you've been m- witnessing to a teacher. Um, you know, you're, you're loving on your neighbor. And even when you don't think anybody is listening, Peter says this, you need to stay on the message of Jesus Christ. Stay on the message. Don't get distracted from the message in these days, body of Christ. There's too many other things coming at us. And it's fast and it's furious and It's crazy stay on the message of the hope that we have, that the gospel is first and always will be first. It's the one message. It's the one mission. It's the one agenda guaranteed to succeed. You know, I don't know where everything's going in this world. I don't even know where society is going, but I know where Jesus is going, right? Because his word tells us where he's going. We don't have to wonder about that. So, so yeah, let's talk about politics. That's fine. But listen, both the Democrat and the Republican still need Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Amen? They all need him. We all need him. And so, listen, so many times we realize, you know, our ultimate salvation, we're looking for someone who's not going to ride in on the wings of Air Force One, but we're looking to the one that was born in a manger. And as our soon coming king. So you've heard me say this, whether you belong to the donkey or the elephant, it's not as important as the lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. So yeah, let's talk about the economy. Because it's hard. People are struggling with their bills. But our message should be that both the rich and the poor, they need Jesus just alike, just the same. Let's talk about Race. And our our main message is that people of every race needs Jesus Christ. And Jesus came to make one equal family of brothers and sisters out of all of us, out of all of us, amen. So these subjects matter, but Jesus matters most of all. And Paul is saying, listen, I'll ever come into the body of Christ. I'll come to the church. He went through many churches and planted them. Asia. His missionary travels. He had strong feelings about things. He still preached the gospel. He still preached the word. But he didn't let all of that override what could happen if he continues to hit people and hammer people out. And what he says, as I know, I understand in all of this, hey, you're weakening your understanding because this is the scripture. But guess what? I'm going to go low on this and I'm going to remain humble so I don't destroy the body of Christ. That you and I have a greater calling than just to hold out our own convictions and be the person that's standing out there yelling mean things, and you know people post many things online and things like that, and Facebook. Listen, you you shouldn't be surprised in the body of Christ that listen, if you post something online and maybe your brother and sister in Christ pick up the phone and call you and say, hey, what did you mean by that? Because you know why we're all held accountable. We've kind of forgot this in the body of Christ. We're all held accountable, right? I'm held accountable. You're held accountable. We, we think, oh, I can post out anything you want. No, you're not. You're a believer in Christ. Are you being sympathetic? Are you loving in your approach? No, we're not allowed to. Not allowed to post anything we want as a Christian. The world will post out anything they want. But believers in Christ have a higher calling to live a life that's above reproach, what we say, what we do, who we are on any given day. These subjects matter, but Jesus matters most of all. So we got to stay on message. we got to stay on message today. So if you find yourself today outside of the shade and underneath the searing heat, Jesus said, there's a place for you, and it's in the shade. You need to come under this passage and come under this portion because God's a good God in heaven. And we should seek peace. We should seek those things. We should be people that, we, as we go through it, we... We should expect suffering for sure. It's not always easy. But I think the days ahead for the body of Christ have got to be a body of Christ that stands out. And my fear is we're too, we look too much like the world. When we're called to be peculiar, when we're called to by faith, stand up for what we believe and stop looking like this world so that when people come to you and say, wow, how can you be so joyful even in the pain? doesn't mean you don't struggle but when they look at your life, they're like, why why are you so different? Well, that's where Peter says you can give a defense of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in that moment. Be ready in season and out of season. Be ready to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This world is hungry. This world is hungry for truth, real truth, real truth in that. I'm going to share something with you. I didn't have this feeling in the first service, but I do in the second. Um, when Kristen was up here speaking and just uh, talking, I felt this came to me today, so you take it, is in that communion time, I sense God showing me Something. That there, here's what I saw, <clears throat> and some of you don't know the story, but I'll briefly share. My older brother, you know, walked away from the Lord and did a, a lot of things, but I love him, and uh, but my 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 older brother is really a picture of a prodigal that came back to God. Didn't do he did a lot of things wrong in his life, but the Lord showed me while I was just sitting here in the front that. It showed me a picture of my older brother coming to this altar. And the Lord showed me this. There are prodigals in this room. There are prodigals in your life. And I believe that God is going to send us prodigals in this church that are going to come back to him. There's somebody in this room that you have run from God. And God stands there with his arms open wide today. And he loves you. And he's welcomed you into this new relationship. Maybe you've been like a Jonah. Maybe you're in the belly of a fish of rebellion today. And God says, I love you. Would you come back to me to smile? Some of you have prodigals in your family you've been praying for. Let me tell you something. The promise of God's word is that I believe in these last days that we are not just going to see portions of our family, but we're going to see all of our family come back to him. So don't stop praying for the prodigal. don't ever stop praying for the prodigals because they're going to come back. The prayers you prayed have been heard by your heavenly Father. we see throughout your word that Lord you know we've all been prodigals we've all run from you at some point or another Lord I see you today as our father just with your arms open wide welcoming us back you have the ring you have the robe ready day as you're here, sound of my voice, wherever you're at, if you'd like to respond in that story, more importantly than about the Son, is about the Father, <laughs> the Father who loves us in spite of what we've done. The father welcomes you today your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed maybe you'd just like to respond to that right now and just say you know what I want to respond to you heavenly father that I've been running I've been running from you I keep finding myself in the belly of something I should not be in and today you're saying you know what I come and I've turned my life over to you maybe it's again maybe it's for the first time I don't know but maybe today as you are sitting here, would you take them? moment? Maybe you're online. You can uh, let our online hosts know that today's a day where you're going to stop being the prodigal and you're to come home today, that today inside of this room. Maybe as you respond, maybe you're saying, you know what, today I just want to raise my hand that I've been the prodigal and it's time for me to come home. The prodigal. Can I see your hands across this place? I thank you for that hand. I thank you for that hand. I see that. anyone else Lord thank you Jesus thank you Jesus see the hand there in the back Father we tell your word tells us we're, Lord as we just confess our sins we're a sinner unrighteous unholy that if we confess our sins before you, you are the most faithful person we have in our life. And you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. So thank you for forgiving those that, Lord, at this moment, the prodigals are coming home. The prodigals are coming home. And so, Lord, I thank you. You've done it before, and you're going to do it again. And I thank you for saving souls. You're going to save the prodigals of those that we've been praying for. Maybe it's a son and daughter. Maybe it's a, a brother or a sister. Maybe it's a grandparent. Somebody in our life. Maybe it's a, a teacher. Maybe it's a friend at school. Maybe it's a neighbor. Lord, that the prodigals are coming home today. Thank you, Lord. You're faithful. You are just to forgive us of our sins. And Father, today that we can come out of the searing heat, and we can come under the shade of your word and realize that you are a good God. And Lord, just like you are faithful to Noah, as we preach your word, you're going to be faithful to us through your word to see countless lives come to the saving truth and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to get in touch or would like more resources on how to live a successful Christian life, you can always find us at myabundantlife.com.